Welcome to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. Good evening, and here we are again with another installment in our series of the soul. This is Transformation of the Soul Part 3. I pray that it has been a blessing to you thus far, that you're allowing the process of this series to really minister to your heart, your mind, your spirit, and your soul. Uh, Our anchor series has been 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23, and it says, May the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, not wholly as in H-O-L-Y, but wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, as in wholesomely, spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this scripture establishes for us from a biblical perspective, God's mind concerning the tripartite of mankind. God establishes through his scriptures that we are three part, that we are body, that we are soul, that we are spirit. According to the apostle Paul here in this text, a person is only wholly or togetherly or wholesomely When their entire spirit, an entire soul, an entire body are kept blameless before the Lord. And he also establishes the fact that God himself, the God of peace, the God of shalom, nothing missing, nothing broken, that he is the God who is responsible for bringing us into this wholeness and wholesomeness. All right. So it means that your soul health and your soul's disposition is an integral part of your consecrated life. And it's interesting because a lot of times I think when we think about sanctification or we think about consecration, we only think about some egregious sins that we don't participate in, or we think about some religious form or religious uh, measure up to or may not measure up to. And so those are the, the classifications that we have used for sanctification. And con- within the context of this scripture, uh, it means that the state of being sanctified and the state of being consecrated direct correlation to all three parts of you being presented wholly or wholesomely and being kept blameless before the Lord. That's your body, that's your soul, and also your spirit. Uh, You are not wholly sanctified when it is just your spirit or just your body that is under subjection, but your soul is still allowed to run rampant. That's not really a state of consecration. That is not really a state of sanctification. So in that according to this particular text, it has to be all three parts of you, and all three parts of you have to be kept blameless. That is so important that as believers, as we are maturing in the kingdom age, that we recognize that enough just to uh, have a certain length skirt on, or the fact that you even wear a skirt. It's not enough to not watch rated R movies. It's not enough to not drink, Um, but the wholesomeness that is connected to standard of your sanctification and your consecration means that your body is under subjection. It means that your spirit is rightfully aligned with God, and it means that your soul is transformed, all right? All three parts of you have to work in tandem with God's design. Your spiritual, uh, your true spiritual life and growth is contingent on the division of your soul and spirit and your ability to understand the difference between the two, all right? Everything internal is So just because it's immaterial, uh, just because it originates seemingly from inside of you, it does not mean that it is authentically spiritual or has been authenticated as something that proceeds out of every internal thought, 
every internal voice, every internal sense does not automatically come out of your new creation spirit, all right, or from the spirit of the Lord for that matter, all right? It is so that because I think that we have spent so much time focusing on how we feel. We have spent so much time focusing on assessing um, what we think our triggers are and, and where we are in relation to certain thoughts and what thoughts or environments or events or those people or those relationships, what kind of feelings do they produce in us? And, and then we start to make decisions and plans and strategies based on those feelings. But that, I guess that works if you're in the world system. But when new creation spirit, and it comes to those who are of the household of faith and those who are, who are subjected to the sovereign, to his throne, to his system, to his kingdom, to his nation, and to his word, then there has to be another level. We don't just stop because feelings can definitely be misleading, especially in contrast to something that God has really uh, decided or uh, apportioned to our lives, all right? And so you have to recognize that you feel and everything that you sense and everything that you think does not automatically mean that it originated from a place that is right or true in God. The inability to distinguish the difference between your soul and spirit to your spiritual maturity. I want you to write that down. Put that in the comments, all right? Write that in your notes. Put it on your refrigerator. The inability to distinguish the difference between your soul and spirit fatal to true spiritual maturity, all right? And there are Christians, many Christians, who equate the movements of the soul to that which is spiritual. And because they can't understand the difference between their and their spirit, they literally remain in a soulish state for most of their lives because they haven't learned to decipher between what is spiritual and what is actually soulish, okay? And so God made the distinction between in his word, so we have to also make that distinction and understand the appropriate application of each. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So the author here of the book of Hebrews makes the divide again between the soul and the spirit, and he contrasts it with the joint and the marrow nature of man. Now, the inference here in this text and the backdrop of it is to the priesthood and to the sacrifices. All right. So we are now the living sacrifices. So this is a reference to that. When the priests used the sword to divide the sacrifice altar before the Lord, no part of that animal, no part of that sacrifice was hidden or untouched by the sword. And the sword itself had to separate even between the joints and the marrow of the sacrifice. So when in the marrow, we're talking about motion and we're talking about sensation. So the sword that extracted the life from the sacrifice had to be applied to the motion of that animal, where and how it moved. It also had to be sensations of that animal, meaning the marrow, what and when it experienced feeling. So if we look at this in the metaphoric sense of its application to us as believers, the sword of God's truth has to touch part of our soul. It has to touch where we go. It has to touch what we think. It has to touch what we believe. It has to touch what we feel and how we feel and how we process it. And every single thing uh, weighed against the sword of God's truth. 
All right. Here are the three parts of man in the three distinct functions of them. Your body deals with your five senses. It is always world conscious. It is conscious of the Surrounds it, all right? And your body interacts with the world through the five senses. Then you have your soul, which is always self conscious, and it interacts with all parts of you, but from the lens of self, from the sense of self, from self, uh, putting itself first. That is the nature of the soul. But then you have your spirit which is God conscious. This is the part of you that operates from spiritual senses, and this is where God dwells and is active in the believer. Your soul then is the point of intersection between your body and your spirit. Your spirit can subdue the body through the soul to bring it under the subjection of the will of God, or your soul can draw your through your body into loving and following the world. So now we understand what the fight is that uh, Paul espoused in the book of Romans around chapter six, chapter seven, and, and chapter eight. The fight is not to determine whether or not we're going to commit a sin or not commit a sin, but it literally is the fight, the struggle to determine which part of you is in the place of ascendancy and which part of you is in the place of control. All right. So these ultimately decide how your entire life is going to manifest. It decides what caliber of Christian are you going to be? Are you going to be a spiritual Christian or are you going to be a carnal Christian, which is the mixture of spirit and flesh? Or are you just going to flat out be a fleshly Christian? And and, and I think in some instances, maybe even put your salvation uh, in danger, because if you follow the flesh, the flesh can lead you anywhere. It can lead you completely God. It can lead you into the place of rejecting God. And so the war that we deal with in our members is not sin. The, the, the apostle said it in Romans 6, how can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? So the, the whole premise behind his is not about sinning or not sinning because the, the not sinning is already settled and established in the life of the believer. But he's talking about the struggle between that tripartite uh, uh, composition of man. Who's going to be in Who's going to guide you? Who's going to lead you? Is it your spirit? Is it going to be yielding to the wooing of the Holy Spirit? Is it going to be your soul? Are you going to be in some emotional frenzy and disposition? Or is it going to be your flesh leading you many times to the ways and the things of God? All right. Scripture says here in James, the first chapter, uh, verse two, it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. All right. So let's go back just to the beginning and break it down. He says, rejoice when you fall into various trials because you have an objective. All right. He says that the purpose of your trials is to test your faith. And he says, the good thing about the testing of your faith is that your faith being tested produces patience got trials, you got faith, you got patience. And then he says that the patience in and of itself have, has its own process. So you have to have uh, the, the perfected work that patience brings into your life. He says that perfect, which means fully mature. And he said, and complete, lacking nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. Now pay attention to what God is going to give you. All right. Because if 
result of the trials and the testing of your faith and the patience and uh, the patience bringing you into perfection and completion. If the end result of all of that is wisdom, when you ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you liberally give it to you without any partiality, but look at how you arrive at the wisdom. So to ask for wisdom is to ask for the trial that's going to birth that wisdom into you. All right. So I don't say don't ask for it because the Bible says to ask for it and you need wisdom to navigate through life. How God's going to give you that wisdom. How is he going to furnish and supply that wisdom in your life? But he says, let him ask in faith with no doubting for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind the instability of a soul, all right? He who asks for something, but doubts that he would even receive it. He who says he believes for something or is going after for, uh, going after something, but in reality, doubts that it's ever, says that man right there is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways, literally like the wave of a sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. It says, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. So it means that in order for us to move succinctly through this process, we have to have our eyes set on the prize. It means that our faith has to be set like Flint. It means that we have to be unmovable. It means that we have to be uh, in a position of insurmountable faith and belief that what we have begun and where we are going up at that destination according to the plan and the purpose of God. You have to be able to apply the wisdom of God that is wrought in you by experience to every single thought and feeling if what you intend uh, to do on the track with God is actually going to happen and manifest God's outcome. All right. Let me say that again. You have to apply wisdom every time you have a feeling, every time you have a thought, every time you take a disposition, every time you need to apply the wisdom of God to all of it, to each and every um, machination of that. The only way you are going to wind up with God's outcome is when you do it God's way. This precludes that you don't just accept any maneuvering or movement of your soul without screening it through the wisdom and the truth of God. Somebody say amen and amen right? The process that God employs in our life through fiery trials, through um, perseverance, through the perfection of our faith, through bringing us into a place of completeness is to bring our souls correct posture. Your spirit is already one with the Lord and your body is literally just the vehicle that houses them. So most of the processes of God that we experience in our lives are employed to bring our souls to a particular place says this in Romans 5 and 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. This is the God of peace who sanctifies us holy, nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing lacking. All right. We have peace with God through our Lord, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Listen to what he's saying tribulation produces perseverance, all right? And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
five verses one through five. All right. So every process that you have endured in your life up until this point has a specific purpose and outcome in mind. Even your pain has a purpose. All right. The as a purpose, the pain of your experience developed in you the ability to withstand anything. Now, just think about some of the places where you've been in your life where you've had to cry yourself to sleep. Think about some of the places where you have felt so much pain emotionally that you honestly didn't know if you even wanted to live another day. Think about the times that you walked around feeling as if a dagger had pierced your heart and soul. And in those moments, the thought and the feeling was, it, the thoughts and the feelings were, you know, let me make sure my will is in order. I don't know if I'm going to survive this. I might have a stroke. I might jump off a bridge or whatever the, the, the conclusion was to you, but yet you're still here. So it means that you thought or the situation that caused the pain that you thought was going to be uh, the catalyst to, to bring you to destruction. In actuality, that pain produced something else in you. The pain showed you, it taught you, but it showed could endure. It enhanced your capacity. It built you. It made you stronger. It empowered you. It made you It made you more resilient than you ever thought that you could be. It's almost as if you had not experienced you wouldn't know the power. You would not know your power if you had never encountered your pain, all right? So your pain showed you that strength. And so you cannot divorce your pain and you cannot divorce experiences. Looking back in retrospect, you need to appreciate the sufferings because they have worked in you a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. This is why the Bible says we glory in tribulation. He says, don't run from tribulations. He says, don't cry over tribulations. Don't secretly hope and wish that tribulations would just suddenly disappear. He said, when you are in a tribulation, which is a repeated cycle of a trial, rejoice. He says to glory in it. He says to exalt in it. Why? Because of this process. Now, character is the result of persevering through tribulation. So tribulation and perseverance produces character. Character speaks to your disposition. It is your internal judgment system. It is your systems of convictions. And it also speaks to the manner of man or woman Character is who you are. It's not just what you do. It's not just what you say. It's not how you choose to show up in the world. It's not some piece of dramaturgical analysis, which means that I'm going to put on a front because I want you to believe this about me. So I'm always going to act like this in your presence. Show you this side of my personality because this is the picture that I'm trying to paint. No, 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 no. The character is the real you. When it's just you and you, that's you. That's your character. All right. Character, then godly character is the of persevering through tribulation. That is powerful, all right? Your character influences also the lens that you see and interact with the world through. So you gotta ask your question when you're interacting with them, is their glass half full or half empty? Their character, their innate internal character decides that. I'm looking at the world. Is it half full or is it half empty? Are they a pessimist? negative if is is everything you know uh, uh like like sorrowful millie that wants to go out in the grass and eat worms like is is everything is everything that they see the worst case scenario uh when when you're 
challenge? Are they the kind of person that only gives you a list of all the negatives and why things can't ever be? Or are they the kind of person that sees the potential even in the trial and they're willing to work to find resolve? It's a law over here in the universe. You don't get to bring me a problem unless you have a solution. And chances are excellent, you are the solution. So if you're the one that sees and identifies and can analyze the problem, chances are excellent that you are God's choice and the one that he is a this consecrated and sanctified to be the solution and the resolution to that problem. I am not a trash can and you should not be a trash can either. I don't want to just hear you dumping on me. You don't get to just dump on me, right? Give Give me the solution. And if you're a believer and caught in a thick trial, give me the scripture that speaks to the resolution because you may not see the resolution in front of you. You may not feel it. It may not be there evident in front. Give it to me anyway. Let me know what thus saith the Lord, because that's what we're looking to see and to hear coming out of you as a believer. Somebody say amen. All right. Um, Character then refined by that comes through the tribulation produces a hope which reveals to us a dimension of the love of God that has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. It's not a blind hope. It's not a senseless hope. It is the kind of hope Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is the kind of hope in us that says that we have already been predestined and called to be the manifestors of all that the Lord God has uh, designed and mandated that we are going to manifest. It is that reveals the providence of our eternal father who constantly works in our lives all things for our good according to his eternal will and purpose, all right? It's the love of a sovereign who authorizes we were ever formed in the womb. It's the love that we can rest in realizing that it is a perfected love. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. Well, what is that perfect love? It is his love. It is the love that emanates out of his being. It is the love that no matter what we endure, no matter what we are going through, that the outcome is always going to be turned in our favor towards the absolute best case scenario because we are in him, of him, and we are the called according to his purpose. So the exchange of love, the principle of the law of exchange in his love for us and our love for him puts us in a dynamic where ultimately his will is always performed and the absolute best case scenario is always released and dispensed to and for us, all right? So there is no promise without the process. There is no purpose without having a soul to facilitate that purpose, all right? So yield to the process that the Lord is employing in your life. I know for a lot of people, I mean, from the first week that I have begun this series up until now, and I think that we are only on the third installment, tell you things have made a 180 degree turn? It has, because this kind of word has the power, has the propensity, has the the properties of releasing the sword of the Lord, the life, the heart, the soul, the spirit of the people that hear it, or the people that are connected to us covenantally who may not even hear it, yet the same process is still being employed, because that's where I sit, and that's what the Holy Spirit is amongst our our nation of believers. This is a time for the soul to get right. We can't just dance over it. We just can't have faith over it. We just can't focus on our spirit and the fact that our spirit is perfected. But there are things, there are mechanisms, there are parts of us that need to be 
touched and they need to be healed and they need to be delivered and they need to be transformed, all right? Thus the transformation of the soul. So God needs a soul that has the ability to facilitate his purpose. And I'm telling you right now, and this is it as I'm closing, it is important for you to recognize that as you are going through this process and as the Holy Spirit is employing this process into your life, you cannot to your little defense attorney that is inside of your head and coming out of your soul, who is trying to cause you to rationalize things that God is removing. All right. Trying to make you stand up for something to defend that God is actually looking to remove. You cannot yield to the voice of that attorney for self-preservation because God is coming after self in this season. He's coming after you. He's coming after what makes you you. He's coming after what makes you tick. He's coming after everything that makes you feel a sense of pride about yourself, your accomplishments, your education, your career, your knowledge, your all the stuff that makes you feel like you're coming after it because he needs a soul that can be yielded to your new creation spirit that is under the control and auspices of his Holy Spirit because we are now in a season where God has to get his due out of the kingdom waiting anymore. We're not preparing for it anymore. We're not training anymore. We are in a season of manifestation. We are in a season of movement. We are in the season of execution. And he's not taking our no anymore. If you're in the kingdom, you are subjected to his sovereignty. You are subjected to his lordship. If he is the author and the finisher of your faith and your salvation, if he is your alpha and your omega, he is clocking in do him. Of all of that, it is time for you to say yes. It is time for you to yield. It is time for you to submit. It is time for you to be postured in position. It is time for you to be attached to the local uh, establishment that you are called to be in, be in the position that he has put you in, be under the authority and the covering and the leadership that he has designed for your purpose, not just your, uh, uh, your personal choice or your favorite or your favorite ministry, or the ministry that just allows you to run rampant, even though you haven't been trained or developed enough to even understand what it is you're supposed to be doing. Time out for all of that. You got to be in position. You got to be in place. You have to know your rank. You have to reason, and you have to be connected to how and what the sovereign is doing, how he is moving and what he is doing right now in the earth, in this season, in this era, in this dispensation. If not, will miss this move. Everything that he's doing in the earth is assigned to his move. And so we've announced it. We're releasing it. We're decreeing it. We're declaring it. We're prophesying it. We're letting you know that this is for you to come out of places that have been detrimental to your purpose and to be connected to the places that are only going to facilitate the sovereign's agenda in the earth and in your life. God bless you. Thanks for sharing with us. We'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for listening to the Ecclesia Global Podcast, where once again, we believe in the sovereign move of the Lord to reform the church and the spheres of society globally. See you next time.